right, 1 Corinthians 16. I'll start in verse 5 and read to the end of the book. So Paul continues to write, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord, as I also do. Therefore let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it, was, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord, with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The salutation with my own hand, Paul's. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So there you have it. We made it to the end of 1 Corinthians. Here we are, the final, uh, what is that, 19, 19 verses? I guess it would be 18 verses. Uh, sorry, 20 verses, the final 20 verses of this book. Um, it's been an interesting journey. So we, we took, I think it was 57 lessons to get through Romans, which was 16 chapters. Here, you only got 48 lessons through 1 Corinthians. So hope you don't feel robbed or anything because it's the same number of chapters but um, here we are at the end uh, it's been a wonderful journey I've enjoyed going through this book um, it is you know it's one of those things when you study something in order to teach it you know sometimes you know it feels like you learn more because you have to absorb it in such a way to be able to present it uh, clearly to others so that they understand it um, and there's a lot of things, you know, having read through this book many times, but not having ever studied it to teach it, many things through this book that I come, you know, that I had read before, and like, oh, that's a difficult thing. It's like, you know, it's like, I'm glad I don't have to teach on that today or something like that. And, and then, of course, then as you start this and then you realize, oh, I got to teach on that now and, and I got to teach on this one. And that's going to be a difficult one. So you really try to dig down and, and get into this. And I hope it's been uh, a fruitful study for you as well. But uh, just a brief recap on where we were last time. Uh, we just looked at the first four verses of 16 last time because it really is sort of like the last 
piece of, of material that Paul deals with that the Corinthians had some questions on uh, concerning the collection. And Paul doesn't spend a lot of time talking about it. He just says, look, hey, have it ready. When I come, you can either give it to me or you can give it to people that you approve and we'll make sure it gets to the right place. Um, so we did spend a little bit of time last week just talking about giving in general. Um, you know, and as I mentioned last week, it's not exactly a topic that you know, me as a pastor likes to talk about giving because you always fear it's like, oh, here comes another sermon on giving. Okay, you're going to make us feel guilty that we don't give enough. And, and that's not the case here. This church has, has given abundantly. Okay, I mean, we talk about it in our consistory meetings. It's, it's amazing how even though before I got here the numbers shrank, it seems like even with the numbers shrinking, the giving has grown beyond that. And, and we are truly blessed that, that, that uh, the Lord has moved in all of us in such a way that uh, as a church we are doing quite well despite our relative size. So it wasn't so much to guilt people into giving, but it's just, it's what was here. <laughs> I have to teach what's here. So I, try, you know, I wanted to give you a theology of giving. And, and you know, so we talked about that a little bit, right? I mean, everything we have comes from the Lord, and we are giving back to the Lord what he has already freely given to us. So we are just stewards of what he gives to us. And it's not just, oh, I have to give 10% and I'm good. It's, it's give as the Lord has moved you, okay? If you feel, if you recognize how truly blessed you are by the Lord, that will move you to give accordingly. And it's not, okay, give so that it hurts. It's give as the Lord moves in your heart to give. That's, you know, we looked at things like that. So I'll leave it there at that. Paul addresses that. That's the last, um, like I said, the last item that was sort of like on his checklist from a bunch of questions that the Corinthians had given to him. Um, you know, again, it's kind of signified by this phrase you see here, now concerning. Uh, we've seen that three or four times already. But now as we come into these final verses, what you have here is really just a, it's like the end matter, if you will. Paul has finished talking about what he wants to talk about. Now he's going to start talking about his travel plans. He's going to start, he wants to give them a few final exhortations. And then he just gives them a greeting. He's, he's sending greetings from, from where he's at currently in Ephesus. Uh, those who are with him send greetings. And then he gives them a benediction at the end. This is very common what you see in all of Paul's letters. Now, it's not to this extent. Okay, Romans is probably the, the longest um, greeting section at the end of a letter that you have in the Bible. 1 Corinthians is another one. Most of them just end with a few verses where he just says, the saints here and wherever I'm at greet you, peace be with you, amen, and then that's it. You know, some of them just kind of end like you know, like James kind of ends and there's no, like, signing off, hey, this is James, see you later, you know, kind of a thing. It just kind of ends. You're like, did he not finish the letter? <laughs> so, so on and so forth. But So Paul here has a kind of an extended um, sign-off here, if you will. But what I want to get through as we look at these verses here this morning is this. This is kind of what I drew from. And it really just kind of comes out of verses 13 and 14, which are really the final exhortations in this letter 
Um, so as Christians, this is my thought here, as Christians, let us stand fast in the faith, let us be brave, and let us be strong, doing everything in love. And when you consider where we've been in our journey through 1 Corinthians, this is very poignant that he writes this to that church, because it's, it's really what they weren't doing, okay? They had sort of lost their way as a church, and Paul's like, look, you need to stand fast in the faith. You need to be strong, you need to be brave, and more importantly, you need to make sure you do everything in love, because if you keep that in mind, that will really serve as a corrective for most of the problems that you see detailed in this letter. Most of the problems you see detailed in this letter come from a fact that, that they have kind of lost their focus on the gospel and have lost their love for one another. If you had love for one another, you're not going to have divisions in the church. And we'll get into that as we get to those passages. But first of all, Paul here in verses 5 through 12 gives his sort of like his plans, his travel plans. Again, he says, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I'm passing through Macedonia. Now again, Macedonia, that's north of the Greek peninsula. Uh, it's pretty, pretty much more in the mainland area of that uh, part of Europe before you get down into the Greek peninsula. Uh, it was a Roman province, Macedonia. Uh, and it may be that I will remain there or even spend the winter with you that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay while, uh, a while with you if the Lord permits. So Paul here is just talking about, look, hey, my plans are I, I, I want to come back and I want to see you. Right? Again, remember, Paul spent a lot of time with this church. When he planted this church, he spent uh, a good deal of time, at least two or three years overall with this church in, in Corinth. And he says, look, I want to come to you again. I'm on my way, and as I pass through, I want to come and visit you again, and I want to spend some time with you. I don't want to just be like, hey, here I am, see ya, send me on my way. You know, I want to actually spend some time with you. And then you can send me wherever off, you, know, you can then send me where I'm going, on, you know, wherever I'm going on my journey. Uh, but he says, verse 8, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. So he says, he, that, that means he's in Ephesus. We know he wrote this letter from Ephesus. Until Pentecost. So he wants to stay there. For a great and effective door is open to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul's like, look, I want to come to you, but I'm, right now I'm, I'm, I'm occupied because the Lord has opened a door for me here in Ephesus. And then he goes on. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear. For he does the work of the Lord, as all I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I'm waiting for him with the brethren. And now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you uh, with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. All right, so in these verses, Paul talks about his own plans. He he talks about how he's going to send Timothy to them. And he also talks about how he spoke with Apollos and said, you should go there too. But Apollos kind of said, I'll, I'll go later. I don't want to go right now. Now, as we said here, you know, Paul is currently in Ephesus. And he is making plans to return to Corinth. Uh, he was in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And uh, we see in the next letter, uh, 2 Corinthians, that 
Something happened to his plans. Now, we're not going to go through 2 Corinthians this t- at this time, but something happened to his plans, and he didn't make it, where, you know, he didn't make it to, to Corinth as he had initially planned to. And that's going to cause a problem because they're going to say, well, hey, you don't keep your promises, Paul, and Paul's going to explain that. But two things I want to note here in these verses. First is, Paul's plans were always subject to the Lord's care. You see there in verse 7, where he says, I want to come to you, I hope to stay with you, if the Lord permits. Okay, if the Lord permits. Now, we always say that, right? Sometimes it just becomes something we say at the end of any kind of plans we make. Hey, I want to come and see you next Tuesday, Lord willing. You know, you just kind of toss it at the end there to kind of cover your bases, to make sure that you're not being too presumptuous with God. But that's, that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's like, I want to come to you if the Lord permits. In other words, the Lord may have different plans for me. And that's exactly, again, what we will see, or would have seen, what we might see at some point in 2 Corinthians. He wanted to come, but something happened and he couldn't make it there. So the Lord has other plans for him. So Paul is always doing his, making his plans in accordance with what the Lord wills. It's like, look, I will do this, and I intend to do this, but I'm not in charge of my life. I'm not in charge of my itinerary, okay? I'm not in charge of my date book. God is in charge of my date book. He may have other plans for me. So if something happens, it's not because... I say yes, and then I say no, okay? I'm not, I'm not a person who lies. I will come to you if the Lord permits. The second thing here is Paul's plans were always flexible to God's sovereign control. Notice what he says in verse 9. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So it's like, I want to come to you, but I, I can't come right now. Why? Because I, the Lord has opened many doors for me here in Ephesus. And there is great fruit in our ministry here in Ephesus. And I want to stay here at least until Pentecost. I don't know what the timing of when he wrote this is. But he's like, look, I want to stay there at least until the Feast of Pentecost. And then perhaps I will then make my plans to come to you. Why? Because the Lord is really blessing our labors here right now. And I don't want to leave right now. Right? So Paul has some desires, but he, his desire is to do the work of the Lord first and foremost. His plans are flexible. It kind of reminds me of what you see in Philippians when he's in a prison and he doesn't know what his fate will be. And he's like, what I would desire is to be with the Lord. Okay, I, I desire this this life to end, so I because I know when I when if, if I were to die, I would be in the presence of the Lord, which for me is far better. But he says, I don't know what the Lord plans. The Lord may, you know, there's still much effective work to do with you. So the Lord may plan to to keep me alive so I can labor for you. So, so I'm okay either way, he says. Because if I live, then that's that's more fruitful labor with you all. But if I die, then I get to be with the Lord, which is far better. So Paul's plans were always. Flexible to God's sovereign control. Another thing to note here too is how he commends and speaks up for Timothy in verses 10 and 11. It's like if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear 
for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now you may be asking, why would he say this to the Corinthians to receive him so that he may not have fear? <laughs> um, I mean, there's, there, it, he doesn't really explain it here, but for a couple of reasons that you can probably glean from other portions in Scripture, Timothy was a young man. And when, Timothy, when Paul writes to Timothy in his own letters, uh, he, he tells him, like, let no one despise you for your youth, okay? So he may come in, and because Timothy was a young man, people might just say, well, I, we don't need to listen to you. You're, you're a young whippersnapper. What can you possibly teach us, right? So Paul's like, no, receive him. Receive him because he is my uh, fellow laborer, and he also does the work of the Lord, Another possible reason why he may be speaking up for Timothy is because, well, I mean, what did we spend the first several weeks on when we were going through 1 Corinthians? Divisions in the church, right? And there were factions. Some, some were favorable to Paul. Some were not favorable to Paul. Some were of Apollos. Some were of Cephas. Some were the pious crowd, right? We just followed Jesus. So he may have sent them there, sent Timothy there, and they were like, well, this guy works for Paul, so let's treat him like garbage, okay? <laughs> let's not treat him rightly because we're, we're not of Paul. We're of the Apollos party. So he speaks up for him. He's like, receive him. He does the work of the Lord. Do not despise him. Send him on his way so that he may come to me. So Timothy's plans are he's going to come there, more than likely maybe to receive this collection, and then he's going to meet up with Paul later. And then finally, what you see here, Paul also mentions Apollos, who is also one of the uh, teachers, if you remember from the early chapters, that they had uh, divisions over, so somewhere of Apollos. And this might explain why Apollos was unwilling to come at this time. You know, he says, I, I spoke to Apollos and said, Apollos, you should go there. And Apollos tells me, he's like, I don't want to go there right now. I don't, it's not a good time to go there. And perhaps Apollos is like, look, I don't want to foment any more division in that church than necessary if I go there, right? You've just sent letters to them. You're planning on going there. I'll come later, which speaks to a very interesting thing here, which while this church initially had divisions over Paul and Apollos, here you see Paul and Apollos are on the same page, right? It's not, it's not that Paul and Apollos were building uh, followings for themselves. It's that the Corinthians in their own sin sort of uh, migrated and, 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 and started following these two men for whatever reasons and, and creating divisions and factions in the church. Here, we see that Paul and Apollos are on the same page. So perhaps Apollos does not want to come at this point in time in solidarity with Paul, perhaps, or because he doesn't want to create any more unnecessary troubles in the church. So those are Paul's plans now Paul, in verses 13 through 18, lays out some final exhortations to this church. And you see here in verse 13, sort of four commands, and they're kind of what we call in a staccato fashion. They just come boom, 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 you know, real fast, right? So he says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. All commands, all imperatives. So watch, be on your guard, okay? Why do we need to watch? 
should be pretty obvious, right? Because it's so easy for us to fall asleep at the wheel in our faith, right? Think of Jesus, uh, his many exhortations, particularly in his parables about the the stewards, right? A master will, will leave and he says, okay, you guys need to work while I'm gone. And I don't know when I'm going to return, but be busy about the work. So the good steward is the one who is busy about the Lord's work while the Lord is away. The foolish steward is the one who's like, well, my master's away. I'm just going to do whatever. He's not going to come anytime soon. Let's have some parties. I'll beat the slaves and whatever. And, and then the master comes and finds him, right? I don't know. If I, I, hes- I hesitate to make another movie reference, but I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out there. The movie is uh, St. Elmo's Fire. Anybody remember that one from the 80s? Okay, St. Elmo's Fire. The character played by Emilio Estevez, right, he's, he's trying to impress this girl, so he gets this job as sort of a personal attache to a very rich man. And then he proceeds to throw a big party at this rich man's home. And un- unfortunately, unbeknownst to Emilio Estevez, the rich man comes home while the party's still going on, and then he fires Emilio Estevez on the spot. So that's the point. It's like, you don't want to be the foolish steward who is not watching while the Lord returns. So we need to watch. We need to be on our guard. We need to continually you know, be prepared. That's why Paul will say in the Ephesians 6 in the Armor of God passage, he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You need to stand firm. You need to be watchful. Because sin is always crouching at the door. Sin is always there. The, the Satan is roaming around like a lion. Right? And it's very easy to get our eyes off of Christ onto the, onto the world. So we need to be watchful. Be on our guard. We need to stand fast in the faith. That's the idea of standing firm on the foundation of the faith. It's not our subjective faith in Christ. It is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It is the Christian faith, the, the doctrinal truths that we hold firm to. Stand fast on those truths. Then you got an interesting word here that the New King James <laughs> translates very interestingly. If you have an ESV, it probably says, be like men or act like men. It, it, King James translates it, be brave. The word literally is andridzomai. So you've got that andro, you know, the word, the Latin, the Greek word for man there. It literally does mean act like men. So Christians act like men. <laughs> In other words, stop being like children. The Corinthians were behaving like immature babies, right? That's why he says earlier, I can't talk to you as mature. I have to talk to you as infants. I still have to talk baby talk to you because you are not mature in the Lord. So grow up. Be, be, be brave. Be, act like men. I think that's actually the better translation. And then finally he says, be strengthened. Be strong. Be strengthened. It's, it's more of a passive sense there. Uh, be strengthened by the Lord. Um, I could look at other verses, but yeah, just for sake of time, I won't. If you want to jot these down, 1 Peter 5.8, uh, Philippians 1.27, Colossians 1.23. All of these are, you know, they, they about being watchful. 
about being standing fast in the faith, about being strong. Ephesians 6.10, again, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, uh, things like that. Uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that's the idea here. And then Paul can't sign off without one more bite at the love apple, if you will, in verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Again, if you remember when we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, I said love is the atmosphere in which the spiritual gifts are, are um, exercised. It's the same thing here. Love is the atmosphere in which they are to act. They are to be a loving church. They were an unloving church. That was the problem. They did not show love toward one another. They had divisions, so they were at factions, warring with themselves in the church. When someone wronged them, they were quick to take him to court. Uh, they, they didn't love them enough to confront them with their sin when there was sin in the church. They didn't love, them, they didn't love each other enough because when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, they, some of them ate before the rest could get there. There was a lot of unlove in this church. And so Paul says, look, let everything that you do be done with love. If you remember from... Colossians 3, when we looked at it in Thanksgiving, love is the perfect bond that kind of wraps all of these other virtues together. And then he says a few words here about Stephanus. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that is the first fruits in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That's verse 15, verse 16. That you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. Now, Stephanus is only mentioned three times here in the Bible. Uh, in this verse, in verse 17, and in chapter 1, verse uh, 16, where Paul says, I didn't baptize anybody except you know, the household of Stephanus and maybe a couple of others when I was there. That's what he says. So that's why it's like, you're not baptized in the name of Paul because I only baptized a few people when I was there. So Stephanus apparently was one of the first converts in Corinth. And, and his household apparently then may have been one of the first parts or maybe the first stages of the church there in Corinth. Remember, they didn't meet in buildings like this. They met in homes. So you have this guy, Stephanus. He's like, look, I urge you to submit to such as them, Stephanus. Perhaps he's a leader in the church. Maybe Stephanus was an elder there. Maybe those in his household were elders in the church. Submit to them. In other words... Follow the leaders, okay? Follow the God-ordained leaders in the church. And then he closes his exhortations here with a word of thanks. And I'm glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. These are, uh, it's believed these three individuals were the ones who may have delivered the letter to Paul when he was in Ephesus. And for, they, they, uh, for what was lacking on your part, they supplied Paul says this uh, in another place, in uh, similar language in Philippians 4, where he talks about how uh, the Macedonians came and they supplied all my needs. So perhaps these three brought a love gift to Paul along with the letter. And Paul is like thanking them. They supplied my needs. They refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. And that's another exhortation. Commend those who... Who, who step forth in the church to do the work of the Lord. And this is, I mean, it's not like they, 
went out and converted 3,000 people, they did a very simple thing. They took a love gift, perhaps, and they took a letter to Paul. And Paul's like, look, they supplied my needs. They came and they, they refreshed my spirit. Commend such people as those. These kind of behind-the-scenes Christians. You got a lot of that in Romans, too. A lot of names that you will never, ever hear again, except for that part in Romans. These are the behind-the-scenes Christians that, that you know, really kind of keep the church running. Every church needs these behind-the-scenes Christians that do a lot of the work, sometimes without even really the knowledge of the leadership of the church. They just see a need and they go out and they meet it. That, that's a great and wonderful thing. So we should commend them. Then in verses 19 through 24, Paul concludes with some greetings here. He passes on greetings in verses 19 and 20. The churches in Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla, remember them? They're that kind of power couple. They greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So Paul here, who again, he's in Ephesus, which is in Asia. It's across the Aegean Sea where they're at. And he's like, look, the Christians here greet you. Those who are meeting in the house of Aquila and Priscilla, they greet you heartily with all the brethren here and they greet you. And again, this is the idea that the church is not a bunch of individual churches. It is that, but more importantly, the church is the whole, okay? These are just instances of the local church here in Corinth, there in Ephesus, wherever. Remember how Paul opens this letter? He doesn't say to the church in Corinth. He says to the church of God in Corinth. You are the church of God. You are the church of Jesus Christ that happens to be in Corinth. And the church of God that happens to be in Ephesus sends their greetings to you. We are the church of Jesus Christ that happens to be here in Sutton, among a couple of others that are also here in Sutton as well. Okay, uh, We are all one church. We are all one body of Christ. We need to have this idea, again, of Christian fellowship and the communion of the saints. It is not us versus the church down the road. It is not us versus the church in another state. It is not us versus the church around the world. We are all one church. If we have the same confession, and I don't mean like the, the Heidelberg, I mean the same confession of faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and in His salvation that He brings freely by faith, by grace through faith, we are all one body. We are all one body. You have more in common with another Christian halfway around the world than you do with your unbelieving next door neighbor. Even though you may be both Americans, both work in the same place, both went to the same school, you have more in common with somebody on the other end of the world who is a brother or sister in Christ. Why? Because you're united to Christ as they are united to Christ. So this idea of the communion of the saints. And then Paul applies his own personal farewell in verse 21, probably 21 and following. It's unsure. if The point is, is, oftentimes Paul did not literally write these letters, right? In a lot of cases, what he did was he would dictate them to a secretary who would write them down, and then at the end, Paul would say, give me the pen, I want to put a personal greeting at the end. 
Now, we don't know why he did this. There's various reasons. I mean, first of all, some of the prison letters, it's obvious why, because he was probably chained to somebody and couldn't write a letter. <laughs> but in this case, he's not in prison. Perhaps Paul, you know, again, we went through a litany of, of his travails, right? Beaten with whips five times, beaten with rods three times, stoned once, shipped. Perhaps he had a malady in his hand and he couldn't write well. You know, that's, that's certainly possible. Whatever the reason is, Paul here now is taking the pen and he's writing his own salutation at the end here. And then he says here a very interesting phrase in verse 21. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. It's, this is one of the clearest signs of the believer, right? You love the Lord. I mean, we are called Christians. Why? Because we love the Lord. Now, do we love the Lord perfectly? No. Do we, do we love the Lord as much as we ought to? No. Do we love the Lord at all? I hope. <laughs> all right? That's, that's the idea. We love the Lord. Now, I think of Peter, right? We went through this not too long ago, right, when Jesus, Peter, Peter tells Jesus that, like, look, I will go with you wherever you go. I will die for you, Lord. And if the rest of these guys, they may fail, I will never fail. And that's when Jesus turns and says, you will fail. You will fail, Peter. You're going to deny me three times. And lo and behold, Peter does deny him. And what does he do? After he does that, he realizes the words of the Lord ringing in his head, and he goes off and he weeps. And then after the, the, the Lord is resurrected, and the disciples who are sad, they go out and they go fishing and they see Jesus, right? And, and, and Peter runs out to meet Jesus, right? Reckless abandon, he runs out to meet Jesus. And they're out there on the shore, and then Jesus turns to Peter and says, do you love me? And he says it three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, I love you. You know that I love you. Peter is restored at that point. And that is, again, the sign of a believer, one who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember what Paul said earlier in 1 Corinthians 12. He's like, look, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Okay, so it's, it's not like I have to sit here and, and look at my life and say, well, I didn't love the Lord as much as I should have today. I'm, I, I'm a bad Christian. I suck. I should be destroyed. No, it's, look, the Spirit works this in you. The Spirit works this love of the Lord in you. And, and as the Spirit is, is working in you, that love will grow. Okay? It will grow. And you will grow to love the Lord more and more. And then he closes with the, the hope of all Christians. Oh, Lord, come. We're going to see that again tonight at the end of Revelation, Lord willing, if the Lord permits. <laughs> We're going to see that at the end of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus. This is our hope. It's interesting. I was listening to some, uh, a podcast talking about Advent. We're in the season of Advent. And we focus on the first coming because that's kind of what it is. But in the history of the church, it focuses on both comings of the Lord. His first coming, and then his second coming. And even now, the church, even though Jesus has come, right? He came 2,000 years ago. Even now, the church can be singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, right? Because we want the Lord to come for his final return. 
And then Paul closes with his benediction in verses 23 and 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So that's the end of Corinthians. Just some concluding thoughts on this letter. 1 Corinthians is a timely letter. It wasn't just timely for this period of time. It's timely for the whole church. Okay? It's also a relevant letter. It's relevant for the whole church. This what, while, even though this letter was written by a specific individual to a specific church in a specific time, dealing with very specific issues, it is relevant for the church today. Because you look through this book, you look through these letters, the church today is, has the same issues, right? Are there divisions in the church? Yeah. Is there sin in the church? Absolutely. Is there weak leadership in the church? Yep, you bet. Do we have issues of conscience where somebody says, well, I would never do that and you shouldn't do that too? We're like, well, I don't have that problem. You do. And then you have another battle in the church. Do we have that? Yeah. Do we have issues over public worship in the church? You betcha. <laughs> it's like some say, no, you can only sing the Psalms, and some say, no, 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 no. Get rid of the dusty old hymns, and you've got to sing new contemporary worship songs. And others are like, get rid of the piano, get rid of the organ, get the rock band up here. And then others will say, no, no, get rid of all instruments, you've got to sing a cappella. I mean, you've got all these things going around. So yeah, we have issues with public worship. We have doctrinal questions. They had doctrinal questions. So, I mean, these are all things that we struggle with. And that's why the series, I don't know if you ever knew this, but I, I titled this series through 1 Corinthians, Guidance for a Struggling Church. Because that's exactly what Paul gives here. He gives them guidance. They are a struggling church, and he gives them guidance. Now, it's rare that one church would have all the problems they had, but you know, by God's providence, this church had those problems that Paul could write to them so that we can also learn from this. It was instructive for them, first and foremost, and it's instructive for us, too, 2,000 years later. Why? Because we're still the church of Jesus Christ. And the church of Jesus Christ is still filled with sinful people. <laughs> Right? You know, they told me in seminary, it's like church is a wonderful thing if it wasn't for the people, right? <laughs> and, but I, don't get me wrong, I mean, the people in the church are wonderful, but we, you know, put it this way if you're looking for a perfect church, don't go to it because you're only going to ruin it, okay? And there are no perfect churches. There are no perfect churches, despite what some may say. But it should not surprise us here that the gospel is the answer to all of the church woes. And that's Paul, when he comes up, you know, the first thing he comes out of the bat when they're dealing with the divisions, and he hammers that point home because it was very, very uh, important to him because divisions in the church put forth a bad witness to the world. And he's like, look, you've got to stop this because the world is watching you. And then he says, look, the gospel, that's the answer to your problems. You, you, you have lost sight of the gospel. The gospel promotes both unity in the church and purity in doctrine and duty among the believers. The gospel is the answer to all the problems here. So as I bring this to a close, and you're going to get a few minutes left at the end here. So even though we started on Carl time, we'll, we're going to finish early a little bit.
uh, it should be clear that the church is the body of Christ. And then for the body to function, each member must be functioning properly in the church. Um, if, you, if you're inclined, please turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. This is the beginning of Paul's practical section in the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, Paul is there also concerned about the functioning of the body. And he says that he, Christ himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things unto him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, the church, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I was a longer passage, but Paul there is like saying, look, Christ has gifted the church with leadership. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And what they do is they work to equip the saints so that the saints can then do what they need to do, which is to grow up. And notice some of the language Paul uses here mirrors what we just saw in 1 Corinthians 16. So when Paul says, watch, right, so that we are no longer tossed around to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. We need to be watchful. We need to grow up and be mature, right? So that we are no longer children, but growing up in all things so that the body can work together. The body can do what the body does. The body is effective when every part is working together. I recently was, a couple weeks ago, I had some issues with one, with, with one of my feet, and I, I couldn't walk very well. And what happens is when you start favoring that one leg, then that starts to throw everything else out of whack. And then pretty soon, my calf was cramping, and I couldn't stretch out my calf. When my body's not functioning properly, it affects not just the area that's, that's problematic, it affects the whole body. Everything is, is out of whack, right? And you all know that as well. And then finally, when churches go bad, and let's face it, Corinthian, I mean, they were a church, right? They were saints, but they kind of have gone bad a little bit. You can kind of, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that. It's not a sudden thing. It's not like a church is going along, humming along, and all of a sudden just drops off a cliff. It's usually some kind of compromise, and then eventually starts to drift and drift and drift, okay? When a church goes bad, it's not usually a sudden thing, but it's an indicator that somehow the church is missing the mark on something, and by that I mean it's, it's not manifesting the marks of a healthy church. Uh, the Reformers have defined three marks of the church. It's in our Belgian Confession too. And that is the pure preaching of the word, the right administration of the sacraments, and the exercise of church discipline. So something is wrong in one of those three, or maybe all of those three. 
right? You're not preaching the pure doctrine of the word. So the people are not getting the pure doctrine of the word. They're getting perhaps man, man-made opinions or whatever my you know, uh, favorite soapbox issue is at the moment. Or perhaps church discipline is not being enacted. That was the case in Corinth, right? Paul, he, he, he ravages them because he says, look, there is some, there's a sin going on in your church, and guess what? You're, you're happy about it. You need to do something about that. You've got to root that out. And then that, when that usually happens, uh, when that happens, I should say, that's when Christians are taking their eyes again off of Christ. They are seduced by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And again, that's why the gospel is the cure for all of these ills. So that's it. We'll stop here. Next time, Lord willing, we begin a new book. Yay! The book of Galatians. We'll probably look at the first five. Or it's going to be more introductory matter. So we'll look at the, the who, what, when, where, why of Galatians. We'll look at the first five verses, which is Paul's greeting to the letter. Uh, so it'll be mostly introductory matter in that. But again, next week, Lord willing, Galatians chapter 1, 1 through 5.